Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode as we are rolling on here, getting closer and closer to well, more sports starting. Hopefully, we get college sports. If not in the fall, hopefully in the winter for basketball, as we are touching on a lot of basketball. But I am Sun Devil alum Michael Caratino, Ahmad Starks, my awesome co-host who uh, went to Oregon State, and uh, as you saw last week, Beaver Nation definitely uh, blew up behind this man because he sunk a lot of threes, but. I think he became a good three-point shooter because we're having our inaugural guest on the show. First of all, Ahmad, sorry, how, how's everything going uh, there? How's training going and everything? Everything's good. Been super busy. Um, just uh, just keeping up with that every day of the week and just helping kids get better as long as my other pros who are hopefully, you know, going across the water soon if, if you know, Europe and other places allow them to come. But I'm excited to have our first guest on, a uh, person who's like a big brother to me, Pac-12, Hall of Famer, uh, Jerome Renner, man. I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Pleasure, for sure. Yeah, Jerome, I mean, I see, like Ahmad said, I mean, uh, you went into the uh, the Pac-12 Hall of Honor in January 2017. Your senior year, you were Pac-12 Player of the Year. First team all Pac-10. Your, uh, well, uh, yeah, Pac-10, your junior and uh, senior year. Um, a great road to get there, but yeah, I mean, you could, but you couldn't lure a, a, a mod to Cal. He went. He ended up going to Oregon State anyway. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. That that kind of broke my heart, man. I just felt like, you know, easy run for him to go to Cal. You know, knowing that his big brother was going there to, 
you know, do some damage, and I've done damage there. So, and I just feel like everything would have been set up for him to be there, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, he was fighting his own fight. You know, he he made a decision that was something that he he felt that was good for him, and I supported him 100. He's still where he is today because of the struggles and things that he went through. You know, um, you know, you can never look back and you know just say I, I should have did this, should have did that, like. You know, he's still doing great things, and, and I know it's because of the things that he's dealt with. So, Well, before he gets to some of his questions, I mean, I saw what you did in uh, in high school when I started looking you up because he, he's been talking about you for a little bit, saying, hey, try to learn the Cal like we were talking about. But, I mean, in high school, you uh, you won a state championship. You, uh, I love the name of your AAU team, being Italian at all, but the Chicago Ferrari, I mean, champs there, but – you led them to a national, um, a national uh, crown championship, um, and you were the tournament MVP. I know I saw in one of the games you put up 44 uh, your senior year in high school, 25 points, four assists. I mean, you're doing it there in Chicago where we know Amada's definitely reminded me a lot of great guards have come out of Chicago. But, I mean, as you started doing better and better in high school, what was uh, – how much – were you getting recruited and was it just, was it just, I mean, crazy or did you take advantage of it? But I mean, I know you were obviously getting noticed and how, how were you able to get plucked out of the Midwest? Cause I was teasing a lot about that. I know some of the best guys usually stay within the area considering the schools that are around there. Well, I think a lot of people um, don't understand how tough the class was, you know, when I was in high school, my senior year, man, it was some, it was some top point guards, and I always consider myself as being the best. But, I mean, when you look down the line at the players that came out of Chicago, I mean, uh, Sharon Collins, uh, John Shire, you know, Brian Carwell, it was a lot of tough guys that these colleges was going after first. So, you know, it was probably the top 10, you know, colleges out there in that area, they was all going for the same players. You know, and I was more so on the back end. I wasn't going to any camps or – None of Adidas camps, Nike camps, none of that. I was never invited to any of that. So I was re being recruited by a lot of mid-major schools. And, um, you know, I wasn't satisfied with that, you know. And actually, you know, made me a bit angry that, you know, the top schools wasn't recruiting me. So that summer, my junior year, and I just went on a, t a tear in the summertime uh, as far as like AAU. So, you know, Cal came into the picture. Um, Michigan State was there. Um, Tulsa, then um, all the all the schools that you know in, in that area like Illinois and Marquette and DePaul, they all start coming late, and I was a bit bitter about them not recruiting me first. So I was like, you know, fuck them. <laughs> Excuse my language. No, that's all right. Believe me, I mean, we, Ahmad and I talked about having a chip on your shoulder. Um, who was on your who who were some of the guys that were on your uh, your AAU team the Ferrari team because like I said the Chicago Ferrari you, you deserve a national title for that just name alone Jerome name the early ones before the uh, before the national championship like name some of the names that was early on uh we had damn man that, you taking me back bro like to be honest man it's hard to even remember because we the the team switched up so much when we were shorties man like. Man, Mitch, Mitchell Bowie. We had um, I don't know Adam, uh, Drake Adams. We had um, Jeremy, Jeremy Nash. Yep, we had Brian Carwell, Carl, Carl ha ha Haynes. Yep, Carl, Carl Haynes. 
We had uh, some guys that just, just didn't go and play anywhere, but they were some beasts back in high school. Uh, Sergio Brown. Yeah, Vic Sergio played in the NFL. Mikey, also at one point, it was him. I don't know if you remember the name, Sharon Collins, like that. Yeah. Um, but Sharon went to Kansas. He's like, you know, he got a judge retired at Kansas, big time, all-time winning player. He was – him and – they were on the same team together at one point, very briefly, along with Derrick Rose. Um, so, at one point, that's that's the team. And Darian McKinstry. Yeah, and D was a beast. Uh, D was a beast. So, those a lot of guards that we talk about, Mike, like, at one point, they were all on the same team. Jerome touched on that class. Patrick Beverly was a part of that class as well, uh, who Jerome's really close with him. Too bad Daryl Morey wasn't on those AAU things because he probably would have drafted all five guards and said, let's start playing small ball right now and run up and down the court. Man, for sure. Man, the, the class, that man, my class, my senior class was tough, man. A lot of people don't understand that. So, you know, it, it was understandable a little bit, but, you know, I still had that chip on my shoulder. You know, I was supposed to have been recruited by the top schools. And, you know, once they, you know, went elsewhere and didn't go to the schools that everyone expected them to go to, then, you know, the offer started coming in for me. So I wasn't with it. Um, and Cal was, you know, they were showing more interest than a lot of people. A lot of mid-major schools, you know, I love the fact that they was offering me scholarships, but I just felt like I was bigger than that. So I wasn't going mid-major. Um, so, you know, Cal was some, you know, somebody that, you know, I actually was excited to just have that Pac-10, you know, scholarship. And Ann was a guard conference, you know, so, you know, I was like in Dennis Gates, he's from Chicago. He went to Whitney Young, like, you know, like Ahmad, you know, he was actually one of the assistant coaches there. So. That's the reason why, you know, I was comfortable with going to Cal as well. And Mike Montgomery loves his guards, too. I mean, I know he was obviously at Stanford before he went to the NBA and came back. But because, yeah, you played for Mike Montgomery, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, I know he loves his guards. A few times I've gotten to talk to him. And like I said, the fact that you weren't getting attention, you made him smile from ear to ear when he uh, when he first saw you play, I'm guessing. Yeah, man, it was, it was cool, man. He gave me the, the green light to be myself. Ben Brown, the first two years, you know, he was more systematic, which is fine. But, you know, it was more so we had Ryan Anderson. So it was, you know, basically trying to get those guys, you know, the ball. And, and you know, I understood, but I was young at the end, end of the day. And I was like, yo, I'm better than these guys and they doing better. You know, I was like, yo, I, I think I'm going to get up out of here. So I was transferring after my sophomore year. And um, once uh, Ben Brown was uh, let go, you know, Mike Montgomery had a conversation with me and he told me, you know, he's going to let me be myself, you know, so I stuck it out. And that was, that was going to be, that was going to be my questions, uh, asking how was it planned for Mike Montgomery? Because we touched on some of the greatest coaches of all time in the pack and his name came up. Um, and so I knew you had, I, from what I recall, you liked playing for him. Like you said, he was going to let you rock and your junior senior year and you took off and, you know, just got a bunch of accolades, went back to the NCAA tournament. So I felt you had a you had a good time playing for him. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great time playing for him. Um, he allowed all of us to actually be ourselves. It based it made sense. It made sense with his system and everything that you know he threw at us. You know, it w really wasn't any you know anything that had something to do with um, not knowing the system or out there being you know just confused by what was going on. We all knew exactly who we were. We knew the shots that we was gonna take every game. Other guys knew the shots that we was going to take every game. So it made life easy. You know, we just didn't have, like, you know, consistent bigs. Jamal Boykin was a small forward. He did 
tremendous, you know, but we never had like one of those guys that we could just throw the ball in the post, you know, as a five man and just go, go to work. And I think that's what hurt us down the line. But for the most part, you know, I feel like Mike Montgomery did a great job in, in putting us in the positions to be successful on the court. So that's big time. I'm going to touch uh, Mike, unless you got some more on that topic, I want to have Jerome talk about uh, his upbringing a little bit in Chicago and, uh, you know, how it kind of made him who he is today on and off the court a little bit, Rome, just like I know a little bit. Um, I would say I know a lot of bit just from being around you since I was five, playing in my backyard, you playing for my father. And uh, I still ain't, I still haven't beaten one-on-one as a whole yet. So we'll, we'll, t- we'll get to that. It ain't gonna happen. I got, <laughs> I got to see, man, tell us a little bit about the upbringing, just being uh, on the South side of Chicago and how it kind of made you who you are. Well, I mean, I think if you go about not having a father figure in your life the right way, then it can be your strength and not your weakness. All right? I can see, you know, a lot of kids from, you know, inner city, you know, all over the world, when they don't have their father, you know, it's something that, you know, make them go totally left. You know, it's, it's, it's an excuse for them to not be great at something, you know. And for me, you know, my mom was still there and, you know, she – supported everything that, you know, I wanted to do. Was it struggles? Yeah, it was a lot of struggles. You know, we live in a church. Um, and, you know, at the time, we didn't look at it as if we were struggling because, you know, during that time, you know, it wasn't no social media. Like, it was more so what we had, you know. We had each other, my brothers and sisters. It was five of us, you know. So we just looked at those moments as, you know, it was just time for us to just spend time together and, you know, just get to know each other. So we didn't look at it as if we were struggling, you know. So, you know, those struggles basically made me, you know, grow up pretty fast and, and understand that I needed to take care of my brothers and sisters and things like that, you know. But um, when I started to play organized basketball, um, I was I was actually the best player on the team and I was playing for Palmer Park. They wasn't playing me. And I quit the team and I went to play for someone else. It's crazy. I think I was nine or ten years old at this at this particular time, and um, it's a crazy story. I don't even know if I ever told Amad this. So I quit the team and I went to another team. And the following week, I was going to play with a new team, and the police came to the game. And as the ball was about to be tipped off, they escorted me off the court. What? So I'm ten years old. Here I am, a ten year old kid trying to play basketball, and they wouldn't allow me to play on another team because. They didn't want to play against me. So they said that either you play with your old team or you can't play with another team. You just can't jump jump to another team unless a new team comes into the league. And so Don Starch, which is Amaya's father, which is like, you know, he was my mentor and, and my, my second father, well, my only father at the time, um, he basically, he saved my childhood because I was sitting at home. I didn't have a team. I couldn't play. I couldn't play basketball. So he literally told me, I want you to go and get all your friends and we're going to start your own team. And I went to my neighborhood and got <laughs> all of my boys <laughs> and we we started a team. And that's how I was able to you know, play basketball again, you know, as a 10-year-old kid. You know, but one thing that I did admire about him is that he made me focus on things that was, you know, more important than basketball. You know, when my grades wasn't good when I was a kid, he didn't allow me to play. You know, I came to practice and he made me sit on the sideline. You know, so that's why, you know, I started to take pride into learning and, and school and things like that because of, you know, Coach Starks. 
you know, he held me accountable. He told me that I was, I was letting my team down by not doing the things that I need to do to take care of my grades and stuff like that. So, you know, he, and I mean, he, he gave me, you know, he, he started that platform and everything that he told me to do on up to, to high school, I did. You know, he wanted me to go to this this type of high school, Hells Franciscan. I went to that high school because he went there. He thought it would be good for me as a black man. And my mother believed in him, and I believed in the things that he said. And everything that he told me, I believed. And I followed I follow his instructions because he was successful, and he showed me that he cared, and he, he looked out for me as a kid. You know, a lot of people don't look out for kids like that, but, you know, like I, I tell anybody, he was the reason why my childhood was – is the way it is, him and Miss Foster, you know. So, you know, I give a lot of props to him and I give a lot of credit to him where I'm at right now because if he hadn't done that, who knows what who Jerome Randall would have been. Right. Well, Jerome, and you, it's crazy that you say a police officer escorted you off the court because, I mean, usually you think of youth sports and Ahmad and I have kind of kid around about this a little bit, but even in recruiting about how parents are just, you know, again, they root for their kids, but can go absolutely nuts and – act that way but I mean they don't want you're a, a young kid trying to play a play a sport but exercise and oh you don't want to play on that team because they're not playing for you you didn't do anything wrong you're like I'm gonna go play for somebody else then it's just crazy man Ahmad, I mean, you said you said your dad was pretty awesome but you you, you left uh, some details out <laughs> no yeah I didn't I didn't know the uh the police story but I do we've talked plenty of times about how you know, my dad kind of created a team at that point. And I'm like, I'm a kid. I'm probably five, six years old and watching inspire. So this led to my growth as a player. So I wanted to do everything Jerome was doing and be around those guys. So sure, sure enough, all of those guys who I don't know are at my house every weekend, um, literally every weekend playing. So teams are there. My younger team and his older team are at the house spending the night. So we're outside playing ball. So that just, that just, that it, it just helped me. So my dad put that platform there while helping Jerome help me at the same time and other kids throughout the city. So it was, it was amazing. I can't lie about that. Yeah, Jerome, I also had a, well, my mom was obviously a stickler for homework, but I remember one time, uh, I forgot where she was, but I didn't finish an assignment and my dad dropped me off at practice and talked to the coach and, it was right before like a huge game and I didn't get any reps. I had to sit there and watch the whole practice because I did not turn. And I try to keep it a secret, which, you know, of course, as a kid, you can never really do somehow. And, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, ever, ever since then, I mean, coaches saying it a million times, but, and I just, I crack up when kids are like, Oh, I don't, whatever. They don't know what they're talking about. It's like, as like you said, I mean, your, your guard, your guys is when you were recruited, like, if you weren't getting the grades, there's another guy that can fill your spot. Maybe not might be exactly like you, but guess what? They get out of done in the classroom, and as we all know, they're going to go from that. So to have that example, that's awesome. Man, man, Ahmad, I wish I would have been there too. I could have – I could have. I, I, I tease Ahmad all the time, Jerome, because I said I was way ahead of the times because I didn't believe in pick and roll. I believe in setting pick, pick and pop and, like, chucking threes. So I was chucking, I was chucking threes and playing, like – team defense because I would I would you know I mean I play defense but I'm like I'm just gonna stand three-point line and chuck and I did pretty good I mean I could chuck threes back then but I wasn't playing defense so coaches weren't really interested so my uh I told him my hopes of getting to play for ASU were dashed uh before high school even finished so I, I wasn't worried about that but I don't think anybody my way was thinking about ASU like just the 
just to be honest, I don't think we were thinking about Arizona State at the time, but. Oh, no, I meant my days. No, no, I know, I know. I'm just messing with you. Um, to piggyback on some of that stuff from back in the day when we were younger, so just to show, like, how much I looked up to him and what my dad thought about him and, and, and also leading into myself, every time all those kids were over every weekend before our games, no one could go play outside. We had a basketball court. I just did a bunch of training at my old basketball court. I live close to my old house now. Um, so we had a basketball court in the back. Every time, every weekend, no one could go outside until me and Jerome played one-on-one first. And every single weekend, he could, we couldn't go outside until – and Jerome would destroy me every single time. <laughs> and Coach would say, I want you to, to whoop his ass. Like, I want you to, like, be physical with him. And here you go. I'm, I'm what, 10, 11? And he five or six. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's and I feel like that has, you know, because once I became 14 and he's nine, like, he just started destroying everybody because, you know, he was playing against guys that was older. Coach Starr surrounded him about around guys that was much older than him. So he was so used to getting beat up and, you know what I'm saying? Shot blocked and everything, frustrated. He couldn't show emotion. He couldn't cry. He couldn't do nothing. He had to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? So just imagine if that's something that you had to go through every weekend. Like, you're going to start figuring out a way to be crafty, more creative. You know what I'm saying? Smart. Yeah. I'm a child. And it's just, it's abuse. Man. It's, uh, it's bad. But that helped my IQ doing that and playing against older players in general. I didn't play with my age until I was 16. Um, that had my IQ big time. So like that does, I, I just want to say to younger players who may watch this, which I'm going, I want a lot of people to watch this just to, that's how you get better. That's how you learn. I'm playing one-on-one -on -one with some of my high school dads now, destroying them. And it's, it's Jerome's fault. You know, I'm playing here. It's not, it's nothing they did. It's, it's Jerome's fault. And that's how, that's how I learned. So that's how they'll learn. And by the time I was 10, I was a top 30, 40 player in the country. Now you're a kid and you know, all that stuff really doesn't mean anything, but still it just speaks to my growth, you know, where I became, you know, how I got there. So um, that, that, that meant a lot to me. Um, let's move on, talk about some of Jerome's high school stuff real quick, but we get back into the college. Um, he was amazing, um, but a real small player like myself, so I can relate. And so you get overlooked, you get overlooked at that size, even though he's man, a blur, quickest thing out there speed that only compares to people of like John Wall and, and Derrick Rose, you know, just small, smaller, but that type of speed and way better handle. Um, but you, you get overlooked just because you're small. And uh, talk to us about, I know that, that, that added to the chip on your shoulder. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong about that. Um, I think, to be honest, I think a lot of people knew the talent that I had, but you know, when you're young and you got teammates and, even older people that, you know, probably have kids on the team, it's easy to just basically put someone down like that. And, uh, and I think people got so used to saying that to me, are oh, you too small and you're not going to play, you know, high major basketball. And it stuck with me, man. Like it, it bothered me. That It really bothered me. But the thing that I had, man, I had, you know, more confidence than people thought at the time because of my struggles that I was dealing with. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, I didn't really, I couldn't, I couldn't dwell on that because I knew what I wanted. I knew the work that I put in was much more valuable than, you know, the words that people were saying to me and saying that I wasn't going to be, you know, be able to go high major. 
So I believed in myself and I stopped trying to prove everybody wrong and, and started to prove myself right. Cause I believed in myself first and foremost. So it was almost like I was fighting against people and I was fighting against myself. But once I figured out a way to not fight against myself, then things got a lot better. But down the line, I was fighting against myself again. Once y'all start talking about like after college and things like that. So, you know, it just all just, it just came back around, but on a different type of scale, you know? So yeah, man, like that chip on my shoulder, man, I, I had it because of, you know, the things that people would say that I couldn't do that I knew I could do. Well, and when you're talking about that too, I mean, I know he mentioned in the beginning, but the, yes, to win a high school state championship, I know in some states, I mean, it's looked at as, not that it, in any state it's not big, but I mean, obviously there are more so basketball states. And I mean, being there, like you said, in Illinois, in Chicago, winning a state championship, but at the same time, winning an AAU national crown, was that one of the things that, I, I get what you're saying, because yeah, you always hear you're too small and oh, you won't be able to do this, but winning a, a 17U AAU national championship, I mean, that kind of had to be a big, like, I told you so, or in your face to other people, right? Uh, to be honest, no, that was not, I, I told you so, uh, in your face type of moment, because the guys that I was playing with, we didn't see each other all the time. This is more like friends that we get together on the weekend, you know, from different areas, some from the same area, and we just balling out. Like, that was the best times of my life right now today, just traveling with my boys and, 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 and seeing the world at a young age, like going to Florida, like, you know what I'm saying? Like meeting all these new people and just playing basketball. It's like 600-some teams there. You know what I'm saying? 600 teams, and you come out a poor, poor team from the South Side of Chicago, and not to mention the championship game was two Chicago teams that was rivalries for the last six years. So we end up playing the guys that we've been playing for the last five years that they was our rivalry team. And so it's like, damn, like, this is crazy. Like, we really here with all these teams from around the world, Mexico, like any, any, any place you could think of, it was teams there all over the world. And here we are, South Side Chicago, two South Side teams playing in the championship. And it goes down to the wire. We end up winning by one point. Crazy, man. My high school coach at Whitney Young was the head of uh, the Ferrari team, the Ferrari organization, uh, Tyrone Slaughter. And he, uh, so he coached that team's Jerome was on it. Man, I hear those stories all the time. I heard them when I was younger up to this day about Jerome hit a half court shot and maybe a lead eight or final four or something like that that just sent the game to overtime. And he took it over in overtime and they kept, kept moving forward in the term. So you hear so much. That might have been that performance. That might have been one of the most memorable games I've had in my life because that was like on the biggest scales of, you know, we didn't have the social media. Like we all was rushing home because we rented a big house, you know, and my mom flew down to, to Florida from Chicago you know, stayed in a big house with all of the guys, all the coaches, and and she cooked for us. So we was all so happy after the games to go back and get on the computer and see what schools were recruiting us and things like that. It's crazy how, how times have changed. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like, damn, bro. Like, I think we were down three points. And literally, it was one second. And the ball was all the way to the opposite end of the of the basket. So I got the ball under the basket. I go through two people and just full court shot, all draws. And I honestly, that was 
going into the second overtime, Ahmad, we was already into overtime. That game went to four overtimes. We was playing the New York Gauchos. And they still talk about this right now today. Like, I hear stories still about that game that happened probably 20 years ago, 20-some years ago. <laughs> Crazy. Was, uh, was, was, do you remember anybody on that Gaucho team was like Kimba or something playing on that team? It's crazy. I think Kimba, I think someone that we don't, I don't remember, but it was some some guys that's in the NBA on that team right now. Yeah, for sure. Gaucho is a great program. I had some battles with them um, in my days, but that's that's crazy. Uh, just another name to throw out for you, Mike. His senior, drum senior year that you were talking about, uh, JaVale McGee, that's on the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, was his teammate that senior year at Hell's. It's been just to throw that out there. So he's played with a ton of great players, um, been, been around a lot, and uh, it's special. On to, I want to get back to some of the college stuff. In the pack, Jerome, can you remember some of the best players you've played against? Man, I can go down the line, man. I played against Aaron Brooks, Darren Collison, Isaiah Thomas, O.J. Mayo, James Harden, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Drew Holiday, <laughs> uh, Taiwan Porter, um, Clay Thompson, um, man, Justin Dentman. Yeah, he went to Washington. Dude, the pack was crazy. I even played against uh, who was the starting point guard for uh, UCLA during that time. Uh, he played for the Lakers, too, the guard. Jordan Farmer. Jordan Farmer, uh, Aaron Aflalo. Russell Westbrook, uh, dude, I mean, you name them, bro. Like, I was. That's, that's tough. UCLA, that's a Final Four run. That's a Final Four run, man. Um, one of those years. Your freshman year, maybe? Probably my sophomore year. I think it would have been your freshman or sophomore year. Derek freshman year. Yeah, Derek freshman year, your sophomore year. That's crazy. Yeah, I saw man, you were Cal's all-time leading scorer with 1,835 points, 252 three-pointers made, and, uh, and then an 88.1% free-throw shooter. So playing against uh, James Harden, did you see – I mean, because I, I got spoiled. I, I went to pretty much every home game for the two years he was here um, covering. But, like, guys that you're talking about, when you look – because, I mean – like you said, Farmer and Collison were starting. Westbrook didn't start, which was crazy to me when I saw Westbrook come off the bench, Jerome. But is there some guy, I mean, well, first with Harden, I mean, is there something that, like, even you could see it in him and then where you knew, like, this is, this guy just had a silky silky game to him? No, he was unstoppable, bro. Like, he wasn't just, like, somebody just came out of the woodworks. Like, dude was legit the entire time he was in college. Like, he'd, he'd get a, he was a walking 30 without sweating like you know what I'm saying like it was it was easy it was easy for him and I think everybody in the league knew it but I mean you couldn't stop it you know like it was just like what you gonna do let him get his 27 to 30 points per game and you know y'all just fall in line and just <laughs> just hope they <laughs> you get what I'm saying so it was like that yeah uh Westbrook man Westbrook Dude, he was coming off the bench and he was doing damage, man. I mean, you got to understand who he was playing behind. It was guys that was solidified in the Pac-10. So people got to understand that. Like, dude, dude was good and everybody knew he was going to be good. But, you know, you playing against guys that was all Pac-10. You feel me? First team Pac-10. 
Ahmad and I had touched on that, Jerome, too, when we were talking about, we talked about like father-son duos, but like even talking about coaches and like with guards and what like Lute Olson started at Arizona. I mean, like he would, we would talk about the guards that came through there. And then we started talking about UCLA and I said the same thing to him. I go, I get who, who was in front of him, but athletically, even then, like nobody could match him. And it was, it was, he was just a free, I love, I mean, I don't want them to beat ASU, but when he came off the bench, I was like, Oh, this is going to be fun. Cause he was just up and down the court. Yeah. He was special, man. He was special. Uh, it was a play. Uh, they came down to Cal, <laughs> and I tried to pressure him at half, and he blew by me so fast and took out from the free throw line damn near, dunked on my teammate Jamal Boykin. So YouTube, Westbrook dunk on Boykin. It, it has to have been the craziest dunk. It was crazy, man. And they was down to Cal, and I'm like, God damn. But I got an opportunity to play against them again uh, when I was playing a little bit with the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, it was just fun, man. It, it just, to me, it's, it's you know, it's, um, it just sit, it sit with me, man, just to see them guys show love. Like, you know what I'm saying? When they see me, because they remember, you know, the damage and things that I was doing in college and stuff like that. So that's why a lot of them guys show me much respect because of that. And I think hoopers respect, you know, other hoopers that, you know, put in work. You know what I'm saying? So. No, much, much respect to a lot of them hoopers. What was it like playing against Aaron Brooks? I told Ahmad, I loved the way he played. It was hard. It was hard. It was tough. It was tough to play against. To be honest, I never guarded Aaron Brooks, though. I never guarded him because when I was there, Tawan Porter was there as well. So, Tawan Porter was an animal. This dude was getting 36-40 in Elite 8 game at 5-7. That's unheard of. That dude was going to work. So. I mean, man, the pack was – the pack to me, was the best conference, man, when we was in there, bro. Like, the pack was on another level. I don't think a lot of people understand how tough the pack was. Oh, it definitely is a, a – like, a, and I, we kid around about, you know, the East Coast bias, and that's the easiest thing to say. I mean, obviously, you guys are in the central time zone, but you got to figure on a, on a Thursday night, and you're up in the – you're playing up in the Pacific Northwest, and it's, it's what, 7 o'clock – if you tip off at seven, a lot of times it might be seven thirty, and it's ten thirty back east. So even if you're dominant, like yeah, if somebody's outside of people like on say ESPN or Fox, like sports channels that are watching it, the average person can't talk about anybody out west because again, I get it, they have to get up and go to work or whatever. But you're not seeing the games except for like on the weekends. If it's during the day, then they'll get more exposure. But yeah, I would say that to a mod from the beginning, like. Pack, pack 10, 12 homer or not, I said, when you look at just the guards alone that came through and guys that have got that were dominant, that were dominant in the league and some that it's, to me, it's crazy, like more like longer NBA careers. But then you look at the guys that have come through the conference and the guards that have been dominant and the amount of NBA champions from this conference is ridiculous. Yeah, definitely is ridiculous, man. But, I was, you know, I was blessed enough to play, you know, in that league and just to see, uh, you know, how how powerful the pack was and to see the guys came back and, you know, now they're doing really well in the NBA. Um, it just shows the hard work that these guys are putting in and they didn't let the name or the fame or whatever was going on in college to stop their grind, you know, and, and you know, all this basically more than half them, the point guards and stars in the NBA right now comes from the pack. They come from the pack. 
you know, a large amount of the PGs, man, they come from the pack, you know, so, you know, and, and I forgot Jared Bayless, man, you gotta understand, Jared Bayless was an animal, you know, you had uh, Mustafa Shakur, like, man, dude. Those U of A guards, like Ahmad mentions them all, and I talked about some, they, they've given me, they give me nightmares forever, because Lou Dolson started it, and like I said, and Sean Miller, as a recruiter, I know a lot of the mod and I have talked about your own people have ripped on his X's and O's. And it's crazy when a Sun Devil has to stick up for a, uh, for a wildcat. But like when all these wildcat fans wanted Sean Miller fired, I'm like, Oh, please fire him. Please do. Because he's such an insane recruiter, especially of guards. And you need it in this conference. Like you said, I mean, and cause you always hear tournament time. Oh yeah. You can have a dominant big man, but what team has the best guard play? What team has the best guard play? You always hear that, but yeah, I mean, what? Oh God, the, the those guards in Arizona just—I mean, like I said, going all the way back to to like Steve Kerr and Sean Elliott, and then you got a guy like Mike Bibby, who was just you know there two years, brought him their first national title, and but you guys—I mean, again, every week, every week, you guys were playing against that too. So no, so that's why I always just love watching the games just to see those battles. That's what I admired a lot about the pack because it was a game every single night, man. Every single night you had to strap, you had to strap them shoes up, man. Like it, it wasn't no easy games, like no easy games, you know. And it was rare to any blowout games. Well, nobody really blowing nobody out like that. The pack was crazy with it, you know. So, yeah, man, it was fun times. I was, I, I was waiting. I was waiting on. Yeah, I was gonna speak on Jared Bayless for a second. He had a great one year. And Ahmad, real quick, and he also did bring them their first conference title in 2010 since 1960. Seeing Jerome's success in the league as well as, you know, the Aaron Brooks, Isaiah Thomas, it solidified my reasoning for going uh, out west. Um, it just added, the sm for, especially for smaller guards. You know, there are some big guards in the league, but there's a ton of smaller guards who had some success in the league. So it, it, uh, it definitely made me want to go further. And... Uh, Adding on some of those guys, I got to play against. I got to play against Isaiah one year. Who won? Hopefully, we get him on. I got to play against him the year he was going out, so he was dominant. I got to play against Clay, who's a, another guard but different. But I got to play against some of those guys who were man amazing in the league. So I would, I would just, I'm, I'm glad I was fortunate to do that. And touch base on some of Rome's accolades real quick before we. I want to talk to you about being a pro. Um, and your experiences real quick. Uh, but two-time first-team All-Pac-10, Player of the Year 2010, third-team All-American, Pac-12 Hall of Honor, uh, all-time leading scorer, all-time leading three-point shooter, as well as uh, I believe it's the free throw percentage. Um, you hold that record as well. So that's amazing to do that in your time. And, uh, to be honest, man, I that summer leading up into my junior year, you know, because I wasn't satisfied with, you got to understand, man, my freshman, sophomore year, it wasn't like big years for me. So my junior and senior year is where I racked up like points, you know, to become just out of nowhere, all-time leading scorer Cal. You know, I stayed in the gym. You know, I, I didn't even come home that summer, man. I stayed in Cal and I was a homebody, man. Chicago was, I love Chicago. You know, but I stayed down in Cal, man. I really wanted to, you know, show people that, you know, I was something to be reckoned with. You know, and I stayed in the gym, man, that entire summer down at Cal. You know, even like the, you know, the pro-ams. I played in the pro-ams out there in uh, California. 
and I just made sure that I, I became a household name in, in the Bay Area. So, you know, I, I was looking forward to having a big year. And that's when my shot just got a whole lot different, you know, my junior year of college. So, you know, that, that, that came with work, man. That just didn't fall in my hand, you know? No, it's crazy. Uh, I was following that. I was following that season big time, and uh, I was super proud of him. It's amazing uh, those things you accomplished. And I'll touch base just once again for my younger kids, who I'm going to have them listen, especially. Um, it's the the game. The game evolves. You have to evolve as a player. Jerome wasn't known as a a shooter coming into that. Not to say he could not shoot the ball, but that's not necessarily what he was known for. Now he's walking out walking out of the all-time lean three-point shooter. It's the same with myself. I was more of a shooter, but I had a, I had a crazy mid-range game. But now, look, we both at some point held that all-time three-point record because you have to adjust your game. Guys are bigger. When I need to increase my range some more. I need to find other ways to score. And so it's just about keep, keep evolving your game. Keep getting better and better. You never know what's going to happen. And that's exactly what he did, and I piggyback off that in my own way. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I definitely know that, and I'm glad you said that for the people to hear. It just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. You know what I'm saying? A lot of work. It's definitely opportunity. Let's not get it. It's definitely opportunity plays a part, but it's a lot of hard work to be prepared to take full advantage of your opportunity when it comes. So staying ready. Um, Ron, I want to touch base a little more time. Got a little more time to touch base on your experiences as a pro. Um, I know you've been all over. Um, Turkey, Spain, Australia, Lithuania, um, all type of stuff. Ukraine, Ukraine national team. Uh, touch base on some of the ups and downs of your, you know, I would say your pro career. Just so people, and I know everybody thinks, everybody likes, it looks good on Instagram. Um, looks good on Instagram. And yeah, it's, it's great to do, you know, to have that as your living. But just touch base on some of the ups and downs so people get the real. Whew, how much time you got? Shit. <laughs> man briefly put it like this i'll say my first year first year coming out of college i was i think i was the highest paid player coming out going into europe and i went to probably the worst country at that time and the worst place in turkey which is a small village called alia i probably lost 25 pounds when i got there as far as not eating not understanding none of the language um i wasn't getting paid like everything was just bad. Every, my, my experience just leaving the house, like I was just, and number one, I was I was depressed. I was depressed because I didn't make the NBA. I never experienced my, I never even thought that I'd be playing in Europe. So I was very bitter. I was bitter about being there. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to give it a chance. Um, I was upset because I feel like someone has failed me, you know, with the decision that was made leading up to the NBA. That's another story. Uh, but, you know, just, just imagine practicing twice a day, five times a week, preparing for one game. You know, that's 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 a lot, man. That's a lot on you. And then on top of that, you're not getting paid for two, three months. So it's like, man, this is becoming just ridiculous, man. I, I can't deal with it. So, you know, I wasn't the guy that was just going to be quiet. Like, I was going to the office, yo, I'm not practicing unless y'all give me my money. Like, I need my dough. Like, you know what I'm saying? I got things to do. I got a family to take care of. My mom, them is, you know, struggling. I need to send some money home. It, it just didn't work out. Like, I ended up getting cut, like, halfway through, this, through the season because being a rookie, I was leading the league and scoring with the best league in, in Europe at the time. 
as a like freshman, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I was leading the league in scoring. And uh, I guess uh, some other point guard came midway through the season, played for the coach. And, you know, he just started saying so much stuff about me. And the coach ended up, uh, they ended up releasing me and I went to another team. And uh, it was just a roller coaster from there. So, you know, my first four years of Europe wasn't good. I struggled, not the basketball part, but more so like the business and, you know, just how unprofessional they were. And um, I was on my way out, man. I, I didn't want to play basketball no more. And I ended up playing summer league, maybe 2015 or 16. And uh, I was offered a, a Ukrainian passport. And, you know, after summer league, I played with uh, the Clippers. I think though I think that was the Clippers at the time. Um, I got offered a Ukrainian passport to play in Eurobasket, which is a big deal, like playing for the national team in another country. So my agent at the time was telling me, yo, you get any job you want after this. So I'm like, okay, cool. After Eurobasket, I played well. I had no job offers on the table. He was like, nobody wants you. And I'm sitting there like, you, yeah, whatever. You got to be kidding me. Like I was, I'm like, dude. And I'm sitting at home for like two months stressing you know have my I was you know engaged at the time and, and it just it was just bad and so offers start coming in and I looked at my my, my uh, fiance I was like I'm not trying to go to Europe and mind you the money was like like really really good and I ended up taking a ninety thousand dollar offer to go to Australia because I needed a change so I turned down quadruple the money maybe five times the money to go somewhere because I couldn't deal with the unprofessionalism in Europe. It ended up being the best decision that I've made, not chasing money and just chasing the best opportunity just to be able to just play basketball. And, you know, from that point on, like, I, I feel like I've changed the game in Australia, you know, to, for it to be what it is right now because a lot of players start to come there, you know. So that's what it is, man. And then just, you know, from that point on, just bouncing around after Australia, Going to countries, you know, just you know, showcasing my talent around the world. I enjoy it, man. I really enjoy just being able to be a household name in a lot of places where people, you know, know who I am. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Turkey, I saw Israel, Ukraine, like Ahmad mentioned, Belgium, Australia, Lithuania, France, Germany, Russia. I mean, I've been to Spain, so I'm definitely down with uh, with, I've been to Spain and Germany actually, but yeah, I mean, that's crazy that you say that because. I mean, people talk about the Euro leagues, but I guess you're like, I'm guessing that obviously like the higher up leagues aren't as unprofessional because dudes are getting paid over there and they're not having the same issue, obviously, that you were having in Turkey. Oh, yeah. I don't think people understand that. I don't think people understand how difficult it is to play in Europe. I don't think people understand just how hard it is to play there. Like people think the money and, you know, you, you see people coming back from that long bid of being in Europe and. They drive a nice cars, they able to buy a house, but you don't understand how tough it is for 10 months to be out of the country and dealing with, you know, people that's, I don't know, man, it's just very unprofessional. They feel like it's a privilege for you to play basketball. You know, don't worry about the money. You're going to get your money. No, I want my money when you say you're going to give me my money. You don't, you shouldn't have to, you know, it's not your choice. You get what I'm saying? Like, they don't abide by contracts. You know what I'm saying? Like it's that was that was tough for me to deal with, and you know I would have a problem with that right now today. So you know that's the reason why you know I, I wasn't able to stay in Europe because I couldn't deal with that. No, I I would let me piggyback up. Some of those higher up leagues are having those issues. Drones playing at a very high level. Yeah, drones. These leagues are very high level leagues. 
like you're saying, you saw the money we were talking about, and that doesn't make it. It's still way less professional than you see your NBA teams here. I got stories that are that are probably make you cry, man, with with the the, the hating of the you know coaches and things like that in Europe, and it's just crazy, man. I I gotta write a book. I need to write a book with all the stuff that I have has happened to me, like playing professional for ten years. Like people wouldn't even believe half of the stuff that happened. And just to be able to still be strong minded and get through. And I'm surprised I'm still playing with all the stuff that's happened to me, you know, being a professional. And I'm not even going to lie. Makes perfect sense to me from what you told me and my own experience is in other players. Um, I didn't I didn't experience the not getting paid part until probably my when I went to Brazil, which is obviously not Europe, but it's still, it's the same concept of certain ways how they do things and pay late, two, three months late and all type of stuff. So it's just, you know, mistreated by coaches and other stuff like that. Coaches or players are hating on you. Um, I've been in a situation where I was getting paid more than the coach and he was mad about it. Um, and so, you know, it, it was it's just all messed up. Uh, something like that. I mean, in any, in any, avenue or any career which you guys are saying i mean it's one of those things where somebody says they're going to pay you and to to your point too Jerome, it's not a mod like you're saying like it's like three months late but it's like you don't you're right you don't get to make the choice but then they make not that the person is but then it makes it look like you're begging to get your own money because you're under contract and they owe it for you so i mean people have done it in all walks of uh all industries and all walks it's crazy to me that like you know again it is it's one of those things where it, it's got it. It's crazy frustrating, but yeah, now I understand why. Uh, but you know what you say that unprofessionalism now it finally ties in. Cause there's so many times guys I've heard that, Oh, so-and-so got, you know, somebody from the NBA owns their rights, but their European team, the European league team won't let them out of their contract. They're like, Nope, you're going to play You're going to play till the very last day. Oh yeah. And that happened to me. It's crazy you brought it up because during the lockout season, uh, after Dallas Mavericks had won a championship, I was in, it was a lockout, and the Memphis Grizzlies actually flew to Chicago to meet with me. And it was like, listen, when this lockout is over, you will for sure have a contract with the Memphis Grizzlies. So I'm like, oh, I'm tear, I'm teared up. I'm like, wow, it's finally happening. And um, and at this time. European teams was not giving NBA outs. They was only giving NBA outs to NBA players because they knew that with them coming to play in Europe, it's not going to do number no boost, you know, ticket sales. But if you wasn't in the NBA, then you wasn't getting NBA outs. So I found the team that was willing to give me NBA out because, you know, a team just promised me that I'm going to have a contract. <laughs> so... I'm over here. I took McDonald's money, man. Like, it was like, I didn't care. I'm about to go to the NBA. And I had the NBA out. As soon as the lockout's over, the Memphis Grizzlies signed Jeremy Pargo. So here I am, stuck in a contract, no NBA deal. And I'm stuck with a whole year of BS money. This was in uh, Israel. I was in Israel at the time. And I'm like, this is not happening. Like, I am, like, stressing. The luckiest call happened within 24 hours with the Dallas Mavericks. And they called me, and they, they offered me, you know, a partial guarantee contract. So I'm like, you know, I'm like, whoo. I'm like, man, this is really about to happen for me. The team would not let me out. They would not give me my NBA out clause. 
they wouldn't sign off of it. So here I am young, not understanding nothing that's going on. I got people trying to take money from me, all this stuff. Like no one is really teaching me what's going on. Every decision that I'm making is off emotion. And when you're young, if no one is helping you, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions. You feel me? Like who's teaching me how to save money? Who's teaching me how to put money in the right situations? Not and have people like that. I had people just trying to get money from me because I had a little money. That was it. And so I got upset and I, I bought my own ticket and I flew to Dallas. Now, <laughs> it was the worst decision that I made because I actually uh, breached contract. So I got sued. Yeah, but you had that out, you had that out in your contract. Right. See what I mean? So now you understand what I mean when I say unprofessional. Why did I have to even go through that when you guys should have just signed off on it anyway because it was in my contract? That's what I'm telling you. Like, they able to do whatever it is they want to do. You get what I'm saying? And I missed the first two days of training camp. And then once I, I got in there, I did my thing. Like, I, man, I did my thing when I was playing for the Mavericks for a little while. And um, played against OKC Thunder, against Westbrook and James Harden and KD. I had, like, 23 points. Like, I was doing all right, man. I was hoping. I was hoping. End up not making the team. And, you know, things just was just rocky, rocky from there. It's, it's, it's a tough boat. As good as a player we just talked about, Jerome is, you know, it's a floating thing. Why is Jerome around not in the NBA throughout the city of Chicago and, you know, all over the country? If you look at his Instagram and everything, um, all the stories that people have done on him, it's a floating thing. Why is he not in the NBA? But it's this whole thing is just a tough business. Um, it, it's a tough business. So the situations happen, things happen. And it's, it's, it's a numbers game, don't get me wrong, you know, and it, it's, it's just a tough process. So just for people who are listening, like, it's, it's not just simple to say, oh, he's good, he should be in the league. It don't happen like that, you know, because people got to understand politics and everything plays a part in making it to the NBA. Like, the best players, all, I mean, yes, NBA has a lot of great players, but it's a lot of players that should be in the NBA that's not in the NBA. Amada and I touched on that, Jerome, because we were talking about even during recruiting and obviously with the pandemic going on, but like, you know, one and duns and or guys that went from high school, you know, to the NBA. Yeah, you see the KGs and the Kobe's and the LeBron's, but I mean, you have guys that just, again, yeah, they were dominant for that level and maybe even above dominant AAU wise, but then they go to the NBA and they're, they completely, they, they don't make it after, you know, they don't make it and they're bouncing around a few teams. And then you just see, it's like, okay, this guy's finally got this, but yeah, the politics of it to me, cause it's so, it's like the old adage about, you know, guys complaining about not getting enough free throws or foul shots. I remember as a kid, like, you know, just reading about certain NBA players, like, you know, whether it was, you know, well, I mean, the Pistons fouled everybody, but, um, but like, you know, I remember one of my, uh, one of my friend's dads was a big Utah fan and Carl Malone was whining about, you know, Michael Jordan or somebody getting every call. I'm like, that dude spends a quarter of the game at the free throw line. I'm like, and he's going to call, he's going to talk about that, but you're right. The politics of it, because to me, especially now, like with what AAU and, you know, I'm not even like, like club sports for anything, but like, you know, it's when you're young, it's like, like you were saying, like learn the game, have some, like, it's about learning the game. And yeah, I get in high school, people want to win and, you know, you want to win championships, but yeah, there's some people on teams and you see it. It's like, 
dude, that person has no business being on that team. And if I'm saying it, I think it's got to be obvious to other people on the team that actually deserve to be there. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, it's a lot of people that, that should be there to deserve. Uh, I just, and I don't understand this, you know, for the nerve of me, for people to, to something that someone else have said about you. And they go based off of that. Other than them figuring out who you are as a person. You get what I'm saying? And I, and that's that's what happened to me. Like an agent has went around and said that I'm I'm uncoachable, I'm this way and I'm that way because I fired him for him not being professional and him not doing the things that he should he said he was gonna do. And so he go around the NBA and start <laughs> saying negative things about me to, to executives and things like that. Yeah, I don't think I could be an executive, Jerome, because and Ahmad, I couldn't be an executive because I would, uh, I'd probably throw a lot of agents out just for being stupid. I mean, not even saying just because I'm talking to you, but just how I am, I would probably be like, I'm not even talking about him, so you can, okay. But that, that, yeah, that's that's frustrating in and of itself. Before before we get out of here, though, the one thing I have to ask you, Jerome, how much do you despise Stanford? Um, <laughs> you know what? Ah, oh, man, that's tough. Be it's like during that time, you do despise, you know, the teams that's supposed to be your rivalry. But I looked at Washington more of a rivalry than Stanford. And it was more so of the competition part. I really didn't like Stanford. It was more so like that game was going to be memorable because of the history behind it. But the Washington games would have been more of the ones you're going to like. You know what I'm saying? Like those are the games that's just like gritty down to the wire, like UCLA, and, like, it wasn't Stanford to me. Mike, remember how we were talking about, like, the players versus the fans? Um, the fans have, you know, their rivalry game just because of the history, but the players, it's a little different. And, you know, Oregon, one of mine, good one, one good one for me to go at, but I always told you I love the Washington games. I love the Arizona games, like, those going against those guards and those, you know, that, that competition what drove us outside of, you know, Arizona, Arizona State. Like, that's going to be great for the fans. Jerome, it's because the Washington fans also had a nice big poster of Ahmad in a nice tight shirt, and uh, they were trying to make fun of him and get him distracted, but that was hilarious. They found a, a jersey, and he said, yeah. But at least, yeah, his teammate, though, that, and that was still my favorite from we were talking about arenas and going around the, the Pac-12 and Ahmad playing in the arenas and what it was like. But, yeah, that and him in the tight T-shirt and his teammate in a Speedo from the Washington students section, that, that, that's an A for effort there. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, put they, they, they definitely did their homework on a lot of things, man. They put a lot of effort in trying to figure out a way to help their team win, man. That's, and to me, like, those are memorable times. Like, you know what I'm saying? I love them times of just college basketball when it was just about ball. Like, we, we were just hooping. We were just hooping, man. And, and I, I miss those times. The, games is ch the game has changed right now, especially down to the kids now. It's not even about being a kid. Like, now they're overdoing things. Now they're making kids be more political. Like, everything about kids is political now. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just bad, man. I just think they're destroying the game. They just feel like how the game is right now. Like, it's, it's you know, they taking the fun away from the game. It's sad. It's really sad. And now, you know, with how the parents are now, it makes their kid look bad. 
it makes the kid look like they're the ones being assholes when they had nothing to do with they really just want to play basketball a whole lot of that Jerome it's a whole lot of that kids lose the fun they lose the love for the game and it's funny you mentioned that too and Ahmad you saying it too because it's one of those things where yeah I mean obviously you guys you know whatever sport people loved growing playing growing up but you guys love basketball you played you played you know at in college but a lot you know of parents like you're saying like oh they're not on this club team or they're not on that team and the kids, they're forcing them to do it, and the kids burned out. And then by the time they should want to go to college and play, they don't want to play anymore. There are definitely some of those. Um, Mike, I'm going to kind of end it on this note. Um, like we kind of touched on Jerome with his, his NBL accolades. He's kind of revamped the culture over there and brought a lot of attention to that league, you know, being an MVP, being an assist champion, scoring champion, a bunch of things. Leading up until now, Jerome's coming off ACL injury. He's he's rehabbing from that. Um, hope to and he'll be he'll be 100 percent probably early next year um, to get back in his plan days. But he's also been training people. He's been training kids um, in California, helping out the youth and future Sun Devil Josh Christopher. He had in the gym. Why don't you give Jerome give give uh, give Mike a sneak peek to Josh Christopher? What he what should he be able to see from Josh coming to ASU next year? Oh man. Josh a different breed, man. Josh is, you know, you know, you have a lot of those kids that's just special. That's one of the kids that's really special. I think it's just a natural thing for him. Like the game is just, it's easy. It's too easy for that kid. You know, to be six, seven, six, eight, and handle it, shoot it. You know, he just got a different type of grit about him. You know what I'm saying? Different type of confidence. You know, when he know that, you know, this is how I can get my buckets. Like, he know everything about his game already, and he's only, like, 16, 17 years old, you know? So, I mean, just working with him and, and someone of that, you know, that, that stature and, and just being, you know, as, hey, popular as he is, he come in the gym, and you wouldn't even think that he, he, he is who he is because of the, the work ethic that he put in. And the reason why I'm saying it is because a lot of these kids come to the gym and they don't have that work ethic like they should anymore because of their name, social media, all the only thing they, they care about is getting the best dunks on social media and all of that. But are you really putting in work? Like if you see like how these kids train, like it's, it's, it's a joke. It's really a joke. Oh, and I was going to say to Josh too, from everything I've seen is when I knew they start, were starting to recruit him and I started to watch highlights. Like you said, I mean, the six, seven, the length, the ball handling Jerome, but it really looks like if, reading between the lines of what you're saying his IQ wise that even though in high school he was dominant he let the game come to him he never I mean he could force it and be dominant but it just seemed like he let it come to him while being dominant I don't know if that sounds contradictory but that's what it looked like to me no it doesn't it doesn't sound like that because at the end of the day you know it's a lot of kids that's gonna force it like they're gonna go out and shoot 40 times in the game you know what I'm saying because of their name and and then their coaches is allowing them to do that other than teaching them how to play the game the right way you know what I'm saying? This is where the politics and everything comes in part. And this is where people want to make people feel bigger than what they are instead of, like, teaching them the game the right way. Because at some point, you're going to have to learn how to play the game. You get what I'm saying? So if you're not learning how to play the game in high school, best believe that once you go to college, you got to figure out how to, how, to, how to run a system. And I see it, man. I see it a lot. And it's, it's, it's embarrassing, to be honest. 
And I think a lot of these kids is going to start having some wake-up calls, too, uh, down the line, you know. But if you don't have that structure and that discipline, you know, at home first, then it's going to be tough for you to, 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 you know, take any type of constructive criticism from someone outside of your family. So, Ahmad, when's the next one-on-one matchup? Because I'll do the play-by-play for it. When are you guys going to play one-on-one? You got you to get your first win, Ahmad. Oh man, he he he's he's uh I've let's let's not so I won one the last time we played, but he he won the series two one, um in the one. So fair enough, I still got I still got to complete that. He's scared of me though. He he was here. He didn't want to come to the gym. He he went back out to Cali. He went back out to Cali. It's a new day and age. It's new day. He went back out to Cali. You know, it, it's kind of soft out there sometimes. So he went out there to do that versus staying in the city with the grit. So it's okay though, but we'll we'll meet up again. Shots fired, bro. I would. I'm scared of you. Like, come on, man. That's just that's that's just look. Listen, that's just little brothers talking. I have a my baby brother is the same way, and both of them actually act the same. But neither one of them can beat me. Well, I just want to say that I also do play by play. So we got to set it up. We'll get it out. I'll do the play by play, and I'll I'll be fit. I mean, like I said. You can you can wear. I want the I want the Oregon State and the Cal jerseys on though. That's what we need it for. I'm with it. I I got some. I got one actually in a frame right now in in my little game room. We'll make it happen, bro, man. I appreciate you coming on the show, baby. Oh yeah, man. I'm definitely. Oh, Jerome, thank you, man. We appreciate it, and like I said, it'll it'll be out, and I look forward to uh, like I said, I look forward to Josh getting here, but uh. I definitely look forward to seeing more of the things you do, man, because Ahmad can't say enough great things about you. Just talking to you now, I understand why. Oh, man, it's, it's, that's my little brother, and I love him, and I'm, I'm very proud of everything that he's doing. And, and this is just the beginning for him. So, you know, thanks for you guys for having me on the show, man. And anytime you need to rap to me, I'm always here. Awesome, man. Well, that uh, you were, you were right, Ahmad. I mean, not that I thought you were wrong. I'm just saying, like, doing more research about them. I mean, I know we got into it right away, but yeah, just jumping all over Europe like that. Like I said, it's, 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 it's awesome to see, but you're right. I mean, I didn't, you know, the thing that a lot of the people, you know, the average fans or if they're diehard basketball fans, you're right. They might know about how the money's handled, but you see a lot of these guys that come came over from Europe that are, uh, you know, bigger name. I mean, you think of a guy like, I mean, Dirk Nowinski, I mean, obviously back in the day, but even like, uh, a, a Luka Doncic and um, even like you said, I mean, I know Manu Ginobili was in Argentina and Tony Parker was in Paris, but yeah, the, just even like those guys that are that good, they're getting like, you know, scouted, but can't get out of their contracts. And I mean, that's gotta be, again, you signed a contract, you want to honor it, but at the same time, like if it's, you know, if there's less than a year left, you're telling me, Oh, they're, they can't let you out. They don't want to let you out. And then they're not paying you on time. That's just, that's crazy. Uh, don't, know, don't know those situations. You know, you don't hear about all those situations. Uh, but it's, it's tough. So it can be very difficult. I'm glad Jerome shared all that with us. Yeah, well, I could see, uh, again, your dad, obviously, uh, a, uh, a very positive influence and shining, obviously, light in his life. And uh, turned out pretty well for him. So he's out there. Uh, I like that, how you said he ran away to California. That was a good shot fired. That was good. <laughs> 
<laughs> of course, I had to let him know. But we'll we'll definitely meet up again. That's that family, so it'll definitely happen again. Well, I, like I said, I can't wait to call a one-on-one -on -one game. But that being said, Ahmad and I are going to get out of here. Again, don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast here on Believe, anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. Search Believe, B-L-E-A-V, and Pac-12 Basketball. And, again, we're going to start having more guests, obviously, like Jerome, but coaches, players that have – just played in this phenomenal conference and again guard wise like Ahmad and I have said before Jerome said it, I'll put it up against any conference all time and the Pac-12 I think is literally head and shoulders above the rest um but yeah subscribe to the podcast hit Ahmad up on Twitter at Starks 3 um I'm at Diablo 00 you have any suggestions any topics you'd like to get in on any guest suggestions hey Ahmad and I are open to it although he's a baller he knows big time people so again you're gonna have to match Ahmad's level out there but again send us the tweets uh we want to get you involved and um yeah so Ahmad have a, a great rest of your week and uh we'll be back at it again next week no thank you have a great one Mike we'll talk soon
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.